maybe the best instructors in the world now have the option and the ability to teach people anywhere in the world when they used to only be able to teach people within that 20 mile radius of their club. You never know how strong you are until being strong is your only option. It's really with one end goal in mind of a better cycling experience. There's a huge overlap. We're covering all these aspects of cycling. It's not just about the high-level cyclists. It's not just about the health club. Now it's about a bike, a power meter, technology, data. It's about cycling, no matter where you do it and how you do it. That's all I got. (laughs) Welcome to Bridge the Gap, presented by Stages Cycling. I'm Bryce Hansen, and on this show, we talk about all things cycling, no matter how or where you do it. I'm joined today by a colleague of mine here at Stages. He's a veteran master educator and our point guy when it comes to our group display system. Dennis Mellon is a fantastic instructor and also a studio owner, and he's super knowledgeable when it comes to studio tech, which is what we're talking about today. COVID seemed to put instructors on the fast track to teaching classes virtually online. So we've decided to pull together some tips and tricks to help you navigate streaming your classes. Maybe you've already been streaming and you just want to up your game, or maybe you've been thinking about giving this a shot, but you're really not sure where to start. Well, hopefully we can help you out with that today. If you have any questions for Dennis after the show, just find him on Facebook and shoot him a message. Dennis, thanks for joining me. How are you doing? I'm doing great today. How about you? I'm I'm well. Are you calling from the flight hangar today? Explain what the flight hangar is. (laughs) I actually am from the underground flight hangar. So we gave the flight hangar this name because I was doing so much testing of Stages Flight when it first was released. Um, And it just so happened my office was in the basement. So I just nicknamed it the underground flight hangar. And uh, it has stuck for sure. We teased you about that your job is just to break stuff, which which is kind of true, but uh, kind of run through what do you do for us at Stages? Uh, we work together on some education stuff, but you have your hands in a lot of tech. My job title is the Stages Flight Brand Manager. Um, but what really happens is I'm the Stages Flight Breaker. They tend to give me all the newest and greatest and all the beta versions of all of the flight releases. And they're like, Dennis, play with it, break it. Um, Find out what's wrong with it so we can fix it. Um, So a lot of the time I'm spent in the basement just trying to find anything that could go wrong. I think it helps a lot that I am also an instructor. So I know how the instructors want the system to work and what they're expecting of it. So those are usually the first things that I I look at and see if there are issues. Um, And then I can since I've been using this system for so long, I start to dive really, really deep. And hopefully I could find those deep issues that only a few people might find or use, um, those power users. We want the system to be, we want the system to work very well for everybody. Just our general users that just want to see gauges on the screen and others that want to use every aspect of the system. Yeah. And that's, I've been looking forward to chatting with you because you are a master educator. So you're not just behind the scenes all the time working on the boards or running audio or video. You're actually up on stage leading some amazing classes. You've done some awesome charity stuff, which I want to get into a bit later. But 
run me through typical tech that's found in a studio because while there are still studios out there that are just running off music, that's not what's typically found now. There's a lot of audio, there's a lot of visual, there's a lot of tools. So what is kind of the baseline that you'll typically find in an indoor cycling studio today? Most facilities have a, we'll just say a kick-ass stereo. That is necessary. Uh, The music definitely drives the experience. The instructor is really important as well. Um, But good music, driving music, motivating music is needed. So what we see in most of the high-end studios is a really, really nice stereo system um, with multiple speakers, subwoofers on the floor. Um, So we have those systems set up and they're usually professionally set up in a stereo rack um, done by AV professionals, um, not just your typical boom box anymore. We're, we're well past that now. Um, most studios also have a wireless mic for the instructor to be able to move around the classroom so they can be heard because, yeah, you want the music and the music is going to be loud, but the instructor's cueing has to be heard. Um, so we, we tend to see some really good um, mic systems um, so these instructors can can be heard, can cue, um, and also uh, what I've seen in some is different voices or different voices, I guess you could say. So these mic systems can also be adjusted. So if someone has a very high voice, they can be adjusted so their voices are a little bit warmer. Also, it helps so you don't have to scream because if you teach a number of classes, and at one point I was teaching 15 classes a week, and if I would have tried to teach one week without a microphone, I wouldn't have been able to talk for the rest of the month. So those are really important. We're also seeing more and more video options now. Um, People are starting to want something to look at during, during the class. And we have different instructors that use different things. Some might use cycling footage. Some might just use a visualizer. Um, I tend to use a lot of live concert footage. I like to give my riders the feeling that you are, you're at the concert. We happen to be riding a bike while we're at the concert, but we're at the concert and trying to bring that energy of that live performance into the cycling room. And what I've started to see more and more now are lighting systems, which are incredibly cool. Uh, Unfortunately, I haven't worked in a facility that has a lighting system like that, where the lights can change to maybe the zone color that you want the riders to work in. Um, They can flash. You can see disco lights, um, just different things. And really, it's, it's anything to help motivate your riders. We used to think that it was just music, and we would talk about let's... Make sure you use different genre because different people are motivated by different music. Well, now that we have all of these other options, you never know what motivates people. Maybe it's video, maybe it's music, maybe it's lighting, maybe it's just the instructor. So we're trying to bring all these aspects of the experience into these studios. Um, and it's really exciting to be part of now. Yeah. And the classes have evolved from more than just a workout. Now it is an experience. People come for kind of that AV immersive experience and the tools and tech that have come along to make that happen are really cool. One of those, of course, being our product, the way that we display gauges and video and 
um, allowing to show, like you say, concert footage is super cool. In a typical studio, you're teaching um, up on the stage, you might have a headset on, but now after COVID, after gyms have temporarily closed, instructors are starting to teach virtually. And we weren't sure if that was going to be a temporary thing, but it's starting to look like that's going to be moving forward in some regard. There's going to be a virtual aspect. So how does that hardware change when you've gone from just up on the stage controlling the room to now teaching through a virtual portal? I was part of that whole transition. We we at stages were trying to run virtual classes for for our riders and our customers. Um, I've also working with a few clubs on how to do that. And it's amazing how quickly our instructors and also our other customers like clubs and studios, how quickly they transitioned and pivoted to use or, or to teach virtual classes. So at first what you were seeing was Let's just say it was a Zoom call. That's they use the they use the application Zoom. They opened up their computer, so we were using the built-in webcam that are on computers, um, as well as the built-in microphone that's on those computers. And at first, people love that. They just love the fact that their instructor was up there teaching, still leading them, um, either with a bike at home. Or maybe they were ride, running on a treadmill or maybe they were doing weights or something like that. And that was cool. And I, I was so proud of all of our instructors to be able to, to pivot and do that type of work so quickly. Um, but quickly people realized, well, I want the real music. Like I want the high quality music, the same. I want it to sound like what I was hearing in the studio. And we realized very quickly when you started trying to pipe that music into something like Zoom or some of the other um, software that's out there, the quality just wasn't that great. Um, now, to say that works and um, we'll do what we have to do. But I believe if we're going to go further along and we're going to continue to do live stream classes, the quality of that live stream has to continue to improve. But you could definitely run a live stream class on a phone if an instructor is wanting to just try this out, all they really need is a device with a camera and a mic. Something just native in the device is fine. Exactly. I would say, if you want to try it out, don't make any investment. I mean, dollar investment. Um, you're, definitely, you're definitely going to have to spend a little bit of time learning how the system works and how your, your application works. But the cameras and the mics on the newer iPhones are fantastic. You could run, you could run a live stream with just your phone. And actually, if I were a personal trainer where music wasn't part of the experience, that's all I would do. I'd make sure I was in a room that was well lit. I would put my phone on a tripod and I would just do my live stream through my phone. Um, it's cheap. It's easy, and you start to be real comfortable with that um, in just a few sessions. So if I want to go above and beyond, do more, like you said, start to recreate that studio experience in a virtual environment, what can I do? First, it's lighting. Lighting is so important. You need to be seen. And when I first started doing my live streams down here, 
in the hangar, I was playing around with all sorts of lights um, and all sorts of lighting, trying to make sure that I was seen, that I I did not have shadows everywhere. Um, So lighting is very important. Um, And you could just get one of those circle lights that you see um, to do, like some people call them selfie lights, Um, little things like that. They're not that expensive, probably about 100, 120 bucks. Um, in one of the studios that I, we are live streaming from, that's what we use as our main light on the instructor. So you need lighting. Um, you will need a camera. I would say you can use your, your phone camera, but what I decided to purchase was just a webcam, like a Logitech webcam. Again, everything seems to be about 100 bucks. So you'll need a light unless you have very good lighting. Now, what we find in a lot of our studios is they might have cool lighting and they might have a spotlight on the instructor. But the problem is that's only to be seen in a dark room. So any amount of light will light the instructor up for our eyes to see it. But for it to be on video, to be live stream, you're going to need a little bit more light on the instructor. Then you need a microphone. You need some way to be heard. Um, You could use the microphone from your phone. The problem is if there's music playing, it sounds like you're screaming all the time. So you don't get the warmth of a low voice. Some instructors growl or they whisper, then they talk louder. You don't get those aspects of the class if you don't have a microphone that's very close to you. And then after the mic, you also need a way to bring the music from that stereo system into the live stream. And that's what I have found to be the biggest issue with these live streams and also with some of the software that's out there. For example, Zoom and Ring Central, they don't seem to play music very well. They're perfect with your voice. They're perfect for webinars and conference calls. But the second you start adding high quality music to them, they tend to get bogged down and have some issues. So one thing you will need is maybe a different app to use. For example, I use an app called OBS, which, is, which stands for Open Broadcaster Software. And that's basically video production software. And it sounds incredibly complex. And in one way, it could be. But in another way, if you don't use all of the aspects of it and all the features, it's not that complicated. Now, there's another piece of hardware that is often overlooked. And I use it all the time, and it's called a USB audio interface. So what that does is it's a way to connect your stereo system to a piece of hardware that then can be connected to your computer through a USB port, and it'll take the output, all that audio output, and it's a way to get it into the computer. Some computers may be able to use a microphone cable um, and just one of those little headphone jacks, and they can take it. The problem that I have found is the, the new Mac computers don't have a microphone in option. They only have the built-in option. So you need another piece of hardware. Um, and the one that I use is a USB audio interface. Not that expensive. Those are actually pretty cheap. Those are like 35 bucks, uh, but they are a lifesaver in um, trying to do live stream. You could also connect your, your wireless microphone 
through an XLR cable, which is the that three-prong cable that we see on a lot of mixing boards. And when these high-quality clubs that have these wireless mics, you can get an XLR cable to USB as well. So then you're connecting all of these things to your computer. You'll mix it on the computer, and then you can send that out on the live stream on whatever platform you want to use. And this way you're able to monitor the the vocal audio and the music. And so it doesn't seem like one's getting overpowered by the other. Exactly. Most instructors are really good at this. We, we've been teaching with, with mixing boards or, or multiple volume controls for years. So as you can adjust your mic volume to the music volume, and we all know that the music volumes are never exactly the same either. So you're always making subtle adjustments to the, to the music volume. You can do that as well. It may not be a, a hardware mixer. It may be a software mixer on a computer, but you can, you can do that as well. And it's always helpful to have multiple inputs like that to change your voice volume, to change your music volume. Um, and this will allow that. Are you finding that after everyone went home for a period of time, we started using tools and platforms in ways that they weren't necessarily intended. For example, like you mentioned, Zoom. A Zoom is a meeting platform originally as it was created. And all of a sudden now we're teaching classes through it. There were obviously challenges that were discovered and we, you know, our team spent a lot of time working through some of those challenges and finding different products. Are you finding that these tools are starting to adapt and evolve to better suit live streaming classes and the different purposes that people are using them for? Well, absolutely. I think people see this as an opportunity. Businesses see this as an opportunity. So we're seeing a lot of different, like for example, streaming. Streaming platforms now have taken off. I get emails every day for people that want to do demos of check out this platform, check out this platform, we do this. So I'm seeing that all over the place. Now that can get expensive. Streaming platforms can be quite pricey. So you definitely have to look into that um, and make sure that it's worthwhile for you. Um, That's where companies like or software like Zoom, which is fairly cheap, let me say is inexpensive because it's not a cheap, it's not a cheap company. It's inexpensive. And, um, but you need to pick and choose which platform works for you. Zoom, for example, doesn't work for me because the audio quality isn't acceptable for me. But again, I know a bunch of personal trainers, they do everything on Zoom and everyone is happy with it and they can be seen and be heard and it works perfectly for them. Um, Facebook Live. Now, Facebook Live does a very nice job with the audio quality. We just need to be careful if you're, say, you're going to be a group exercise instructor on Facebook Live, you have to be careful with the music that you use because if you're using music that is copyright protected, they will they'll mute it on you. And that can definitely ruin the experience. So you definitely need to research what works for you, um, what is a high enough quality for you, and then also what are the protections on it so that your class doesn't become muted and then you lose that experience. Yeah, and that's another, I'm glad you mentioned that because I wanted to touch quickly on just the rules around music, just straight from Spotify. Um, Like you mentioned, we 
hosted some classes on Facebook Live and then found quickly that, oh, my audio is gone because that that music was um, has rights and is protected. So how can you safely and respectfully manage using um, music from Spotify or whatever music source? Well, most of the music on Spotify would be protected. And I would expect if I was teaching a class using a Spotify playlist on Facebook Live, I would expect that music to eventually be found to be, have copyright protections on it. And then eventually it would be muted. So you, would, you might hear my voice, but you wouldn't hear the music. And that could, again, ruin the experience a little bit. But there are some services out there. At Stages, we use a company called Yes Music, where the music is, it might be covers of some of the music, and it is legal. You'd have to pay a fee to have access to that library, but you can stream to that library and you won't have issues with, with the copyright protection. So that's something to look into. Um, I hear in the US, this is not as common, but in the UK or in Europe, they tend to use services like that for all of their classes. Um, so I would expect it to be coming this way across the pond eventually. Um, so the instructors that are here in the U.S. should probably start looking into that. I wouldn't say we need to jump on it right now, but you should definitely start looking into how we can use or how or music that you can use from companies like Yes Music, um, where it is legal to stream, to use in, in clubs, um, and maybe even to use as video on demand classes. When you're talking to a room of 10 to 30 people who regularly attend your class, it's a lot different than teaching to the virtual world, to people who might be in other countries, as we found um, when we hosted our global ride, right? So how do you have to change the way that you address your audience when you've moved from a physical studio to a virtual environment? Sure. When we, when I teach at a stages flight studio... I know that everyone in that studio is on a stages bike. They have a power meter and then they have a gauge on the screen that tells them the zone or the power zone or intensity that they're working at. So once I get the riders riding and I explain our bike, our system, how power works, how flight works, I can very simply just start calling out colors and my cueing becomes very, very simple. I want you to ride at this RPM range. I want you seated or standing and I want you in this zone, which is equivalent to this color for this length of time. Boom, and everybody goes and does it. When you start teaching virtually, well, you don't know what kind of bike they're on or even if they're on a bike, you could have some you could be teaching a cycling class and someone could be running on a treadmill and they should still be able to get a very quality workout so i don't know what bike they're on i don't know what metrics they can see maybe they have a bike that doesn't even have a computer so they have nothing in front of them maybe they can only train with heart rate maybe they're only using perceived exertion so what i found when i first started doing these these live stream classes is I was talking so much. So I would talk to my stages people. And then I would talk to the people that might only have heart rate, might only see their RPM on their bike, um, or people that didn't have anything. And I'd have to be very clear on perceived exertion, on how I want them to feel 
during this length of an interval. And then I had to also keep track of time for them. And you know, I've been teaching for a long time, like 25 years. It was, it was like going back old school. And in a way, it was really exciting. And I think it improved my teaching uh, quite a bit. The other thing that I found too is, well, now you're not looking at people. You're looking at a camera and you realize, I got to look at that webcam Otherwise, people think I'm just looking at the ground or looking around. And when you look at yourself at the video after you teach the class, you start to realize how difficult it is to, to focus on a camera for a full hour as opposed to riders in a room where you can constantly gaze and, and look into the eyes of all of your riders. Here, you just have one eye and it's a camera right in front of you. It's a little weird at first, but you know, eventually, eventually you figure it out. Is it challenging when you can't kind of read the energy in the room and the responses from the writers to kind of keep your energy level up? And also, um, how do you monitor the, the way the class is going when you don't have that direct feedback? That's very difficult. I remember when I used to teach back in the day when I would teach 15 classes a week or so, um, I would walk into the classrooms tired and I know I'm the one that's supposed to bring energy and maybe I faked it really well, but I would get going, get riding, but then the class would pull me through, probably more so than I was pulling them through. Maybe I faked it, faked it really well and they, were, they didn't realize that, but there were plenty of times at the end of a class I would say, guys, thanks so much because I came in here wiped out and you guys pulled me all through. And they're like, oh, we, you did the same thing for us. I'm like, great. And so you get that interaction. When you don't have that, it's difficult. What I did find, and if you ever look at any of the classes or follow any of my live stream classes, I used to give my phone number out and say, text me, text me if you have any questions. And it's interesting how you get so much energy from people either chatting in a chat room or sending you texts. And it'd be, it'd be funny because after the class, I'd have like 20 texts like, oh, I love that song. So there had to be some kind of interaction happening. Now there's times where it's not. There were times I taught live stream classes, or maybe I should say I taught a class that I recorded knowing I was the only person involved in that class at that time. So you try to give everything you can and then I would live stream it later or I would I'd video on demand. I'd play that video later. Um, and it's interesting when you're doing that and you don't tell your riders that you're doing that and you're just sitting there as it's playing on your whatever platform it is and you're getting all these texts and all these messages and, and people are shocked at how quickly you can respond because they're looking at you and you're not responding. So it's just a, it was just a fun thing to do. Um, but I just found after a few weeks that it was just, I was able to get back. Maybe it was, I was able to imagine that my riders were out there and riding with me and I would get a text or a comment or two throughout class and it kept me going knowing that they're with me. Or I would say a joke or something and I would just get a text back that just said, ha ha, you know, something like that. But I do think there is, there is a need for some form of a fee, for feedback. Um, that's what I'm hearing a lot with people that do use Zoom. They like the fact that their riders are also on Zoom and they see the pictures or the video of their riders riding. So that's a cool option too and something else that you can definitely do. Yeah, a big piece of going to an indoor cycling class is the community aspect. And so you kind of have to keep that intact in some way. What do you think about 
the hybrid environments, having a handful of people in the studio with you, but also live streaming to other people, um, either just at home or even in different cities or um, countries across the world? Now, Peloton does that. That's their thing. I've been to the Peloton studio a few times in New York, and it's pretty cool thinking that I'm, I'm riding in here in this studio with maybe there's 30 people, but then there's over a thousand throughout the world riding at the same time. That's a pretty cool and powerful thing. As an instructor, it's probably cooler and even more powerful. I think I personally believe that's the future. I am an owner of a studio now, and that's what we do. We live stream every single class we teach. Um, so we try to give the feeling of to our live streamers like they're there. So we do have a camera in front of us. That's the I think of that's the live stream people, right? There's only one camera. Hopefully there's 20 or 30 people that are live streaming at the time. I try to give that camera a little bit of attention throughout every single class, as well as the rest of the riders in the class. So I do believe that that's going to be the thing that we see in the future. So you are always going to, you are always going to be able to share your specific or your club experience with your riders, whether they are in your studio or whether they're at home. And I think that's very important. Or maybe they're traveling. Um, or maybe the best instructors in the world now have the option and the ability to teach people anywhere in the world when they used to only be able to teach people within that 20 mile radius of their club. So I do believe that that is going to be the future and that's where we're going. I believe the challenge is going to be to keep that sense of community that you're talking about. And that's where I, I found the chatting was so, and I mean the chat rooms or the comment areas were so important. It was just a matter of knowing that there's other people out there and they're building this sense of community, even though they may be thousands of miles apart. From a business perspective, you do run a studio. Do you think that's going to be necessary for just survival now? Because there's become regulations around how many people can actually be in the room. We used to cram as many bikes in a studio as you could. And that's just, we can't do that anymore. With COVID, I think there are areas of the country and the world where people are still at home. They're not allowed to go to studios. Here in Colorado, we're, we're slowly and steadily opening it up, but we don't have studios with 50 bikes anymore. And that may come back eventually. I do believe that is something that is going to stick and that we're going to see um, into the future. And I think it's great. I think it's great. So I think as a business standpoint, most definitely, if you can have a number of riders that are riding at home. So let's just say, for example, my studio, we only have seven bikes now because we're trying to spread all the bikes out, trying to give everyone at least an eight to 10 foot radius around their bike as they ride, trying to keep everyone healthy. Well, we may be selling those classes out. Well, someone that happens to have a bike at home can say, okay, the class is sold out, but I can still ride at that time at home and get an experience that feels almost like I'm at the club, almost like I'm at the studio. It may not be the exact experience because you're definitely not there. Um, but if you can provide high quality music where you can be heard, where you can be seen, and you can see what's happening inside of that studio, well, you'll feel like you're there. 
There's also something I bring up a lot. We only have about 10% of the population are members of clubs. Now, I don't know if we'll ever get 100% of the population exercising, but what if we got 40% of the population exercising? And I do think there is a group of people that are simply afraid to walk into a club. They are just not comfortable with the club environment. Maybe they're self-conscious, whatever it is. Um, But if we could provide a service where those people can work out in their home with no one else around, get the same experience, get the benefits of exercise, maybe eventually they'll come to a studio. Maybe they never will. For example, I've been in the fitness industry since I graduated from college, and that was in 91. And I still don't like to lift weights in clubs, mainly because I'm a personal trainer or I have been a personal trainer for years. And every move that I make in that, in that club is being judged by everyone around. You know, and I've had that happen. I'm doing something, I'm on the last rep of a squat and I'm starting to fail and my form breaks down and someone says something to me. I'm like, it's the last rep of a squat. I was perfect for nine. Now I'm struggling on 10 and you're going to say something. So if I feel self-conscious about that, I can imagine someone else that isn't comfortable in a studio or in a, in a big box gym I could see where they don't want to want to come into those clubs or into those gyms. So if we can offer something in their home, well, let's do it. And maybe eventually they end up in these big boxes. Yeah, it keeps the barrier to entry really low. And um, that's a really great point. And I think a lot of people struggle with that. And it also makes it easier to not go when when you already might feel uncomfortable and then you say, well, and who's going to watch my kid? And I also have to be at this place at this time and I don't have time to drive to the club and back and all these things. And so we might capture those people by just giving them an easy, hey, right from your living room, sign in and we're going to all you know, join in together and have a good time. Well, that's why I like what we're doing at Stages. We are not trying to have people quit their club. We're trying to work with the club. So we wanna, we wanna sell our bikes in home. Then we want to live stream classes from whatever club they're a member of. We don't want it to be, well, quit your club and just ride our classes. We wanna provide options for riders or exercisers to be able to work out with the instructors or the trainers at the club that they are a member of or the studio that they're a member of um, and get the same type of experience. One thing that you have done for many years that I love and I actually got to be a part of this past year is a ride for Brent's Place. Can you explain and share a little bit about what Brent's Place is and the ride that you run to raise money for them? Brent's Place is a living facility for children that are receiving treatments at, let's say, the Children's Hospital here in Colorado. What's really nice about Brent's Place is it's apartments for the entire family to live together while these children and these parents and the siblings are going through this battle. In most cases, it happens to be cancer. Cancer has touched everybody. I lost my mother when I was 17 years old. Um, So 
what I was trying to do throughout, you know, my early fitness career was how can I give back? What can I do with fitness to give back? And it just so happened I was personal training the CEO of Brent's Place. Um, and they started doing a fundraiser called the Roadless Ride. So the Roadless Ride is 12 one-hour indoor cycling classes. You can ride one of the classes or you can ride all 12 of them. So I'm like, ah, what a way to give back now. I hate cancer, so I want to fight that. I like riding my bike. I teach indoor cycling. I can use the talents that I have to give back to the community. So I've been doing this ride for Brent's Place for, I believe it is 15 years now. Um, One of the things that I started to do is after the first year or two, I asked, has anyone ever ridden all 12 of the classes? And she goes, no, no one's ever done that. I'm really surprised no one has. I said, well, I'm going to do it next year. So the next year, I raised a bunch of funds to be able to ride in all of the classes. So I just raised, I didn't raise a whole bunch of money, but I raised enough money to pay for all the classes that I was going to ride in. And I rode all 12. Um, the next year I had a gentleman ride with me. Um, he was one of the docs actually dealt with some of these kids at Brent's place. Um, and he nicknamed it the roadless century. So the next year, I think we had five, um, and then the year after that, we had 30 riders ride all 12 classes. Um, and that has stuck ever since. So now we have the Roadless Century, which rides all 12 hours of the Roadless Ride. And then we have other people that are riding throughout the day um, for one, two, or three classes. Now, what I've always thought is, yes, we can raise money for Brent's Place. It's a very local charity. We, we usually raise about $100,000 in the, in the one-day event. But now we have this live streaming option. And I'm thinking, hmm, so now we are no longer limited by the number of bikes that are in that studio. We could ride this fundraiser with people all over the world. Now, it always helps when it's a local fundraiser and it's local people riding, Um, but we have friends and family. We have people that have moved. We have people that have been, kids that have been in Brent's place that have survived and then gone on with their life. So it would be very interesting to use these features that we're talking about, this new technology of live streaming um, for these fundraisers. Yeah, it's so great. And I really enjoyed this year being a part of it. And um, now I am not local to Colorado anymore. So that would be cool for me to be able to join it again this year and, and just be able to sign in and, and ride with everybody. If I'm a, a new instructor, what are a couple tips that you have to make sure I make the best out of my new virtual streamed classes? So first off, I would not go too complex. You have to realize that you're not riding with your regulars. Like your regulars know you. They know you're queuing. They know, they, they know what you're asking. They know how you do things. You have to understand and realize that there's going to be a lot of people that have never ridden with you, don't even know you, may never meet you in your entire life. So I would start off keeping it simple. Not to say that eventually you can't make it more complex because those ones that are riding with you in this setting will eventually learn your style. Um, and that's a lot of fun when you, when you start getting emails from people a thousand miles away saying, that was an awesome class. And um, you're like, really? I didn't even know you were out there. Um, so I would keep it simple. If you're going to start live streaming, good light 
you need good light. I wouldn't spend too much money on hardware too soon. I'd, I'd say, see if it works. Start off with just your phone. Maybe start off with just, just doing it on Zoom and letting the built-in microphone grab the music that you're playing through a stereo somewhere and talk to it. Um, so you have to talk loud enough to hear it. So, but start cheap. Um, see, how it, see, how it, see how it goes. Watch your video of yourself. It's amazing how much you can learn. And yes, it's cringeworthy at first. You know, if you don't like listening to your voice, that's hard. You don't really know these little things that you do with your hands and your eyes. It's, it's weird. The first few times I, I watched my classes, I'm like, ooh, do I really do that? Um, and you do. And that's okay. I'm not saying to stop doing that. But, um, but get used to that. See that. Be comfortable with yourself on camera and start to get comfortable with your voice. It's taken me years to be comfortable with that, um, but I'm finally there. Um, and enjoy yourself. What the other master educators at stages found is at first we were pretty uptight. We weren't ourselves. We weren't, act- we weren't, we weren't acting naturally. But then after a few classes, we just loosened up and you can see the difference in our first few classes that we taught when we were doing it on Facebook Live to how it was after three weeks, three or four weeks. Then we became ourselves again. So try to become yourself as quickly as possible. It's not going to happen on the first class. I know it's not. You're going to be all prepared. You're all stressed out. It's not going to happen. Um, But try to get there as soon as possible because that's what people want. They want you. They don't need this perfect experience. They don't need this perfect broadcast. They want you. And it's okay if you mess up, just keep going like it would be in a regular class. That's so important. People fall in love with the instructor and the personality and the energy that they bring. And it's very surprising how much people will forgive from a technical standpoint just to enjoy the instructor that's, that's teaching them. What is your favorite song to teach to? I would still have to say, and I get everyone still gives me a hard time about this, but it's Come On Eileen. (laughs) And I taught to that song in my very first class that I ever taught when I first got certified. And that was on a tape, on a cassette tape. I still have that tape. Oh, wow. Um, I'm afraid to use it because I think I'm going to break it. But um, just something about the chorus to the verse, the way it ends, uh, it's just, it's whenever I am stuck whenever I want a big finish let's say I feel like hmm the class wasn't really everything I wanted I usually throw that one on um, luckily now that doesn't happen that often so when I play it I can hear my class already go woo all right come on Eileen because I know I'll play it like every few months um, and they know exactly what what to do um, to each of the chorus to each of the verse to all the changes in the music but I guess that's just kind of my oldie but goodie Dennis, thanks for joining me. This has been super valuable, very informative, and uh, I hope everybody can give it a shot and or improve their virtual teaching that they're already doing right now. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Bryce. They, anybody can reach out to me. Um, You can follow me on Facebook. It's just Dennis Mellon. Um, Ask any questions on Messenger. I will do my best to get back to you um, on those and try to help you improve this experience and make this transition to some of these live stream events and these live stream classes easier um, and better for you and for your riders. Awesome. Thanks, Dennis. 
Thanks so much, Bryce. 